Hey there, Archons. Do you want a time traveler deck? Have you opened tens of twenties of decks and not gotten that time traveler deck yet? Well, do I have the giveaway for you then? I have a sealed time traveler deck that I will be giving away to whoever retweets and follows the Sanctimonious Twitter profile, and the retweet will be the second episode tweet out. So if you want a time traveler deck, all you have to do is follow us on Twitter, at Sanctimonious, and then retweet the tweet that goes out about episode two. And uh, the only stipulations are shipping will be free to the U.S., and if an international person wins, hooray, but we may have to uh, partner on the shipping, depending on how that works out. So yeah, get out there, follow Sanctimonious on Twitter, and retweet the second episode post. Welcome back to Sanctimonious, a podcast where two zealous Keyforge players discuss a new Keyforge topic every week. These topics will range from how to improve at the game to building community and everything in between. My name's Jake, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dan. Dan, uh, how's it going? Good. How you doing, Jake? Doing well. Just uh, wrapping up finals week at school, so nice. I think we're both going on a little bit of lack of sleep here but hopefully we can still bring the energy and uh this show is i'm really excited because we have a lot of exciting stuff to talk about yeah man uh vault tour denver just happened so i think that's gonna kind of round out our discussions today we're gonna talk about a little bit about vault tour denver and just some of the various topics that cropped up surrounding that so it should be some good stuff we've got some good notes we've got a lot to get through so i'm excited to dive in yeah, so let's uh, dive right in uh, with our weekly inspiration, where we talk about something that sort of inspired us in our uh, weekly play of Keyforge. Uh, so if you don't mind, I can jump into mine first. Sure, go for it. After you, sir. So this week, my inspiration uh, came from playing in a team tournament. Uh, and this is a pretty cool format where it was actually uh, a three versus three team where in order to win the match, you had to win uh, two games on your team. So uh, I was asked by my friend Anne, who, if you're in the Discord, uh, Sanctimonious Discord, that's El Elaine in there. I hope I'm saying that right. So we, we were a team, and then uh, we needed one more, and we were lucky to kind of just pick up another guy who was looking for a team there. Um, nice. So anyway, in the first round of the event we were playing against this awesome team that was just a family so my my opponent was john and he was playing with his wife and son who is probably about 12 years old if i'm guessing i hope you know I would <laughs> somewhere somewhere in that range sure uh so, so he's a pretty young kid but he's super excited and it was awesome to have him out there at the event uh so anyway uh we just the way they had it set up was you just kind of randomly draw uh cards like poker cards um from a standard deck and then if you matched up cards that was who your opponent was so i ended up playing into john and ended up playing against john's wife who i apologize i don't know her name so then our third player uh was was playing against their kid uh, and he was a new player as well so uh, it was this really kind of epic back and forth match between them so 
what ended up happening was I, I ended up winning my match. It was a really close game. John's a really good player. I'm not really sure what happened all the way on the opposite end of the table uh, where Anne was playing, but I know she was able to win. That's that's all she does. That's all she does is win. Seriously. Yeah, no. I am, <laughs> I am, I am defeated against her so far. Defeated, not undefeated. Defeated. That's sort of like the whole feeling here in St. Louis is she's definitely one of our kind of top players. And um, anyway, so when she asked me to be on her team, I was like really excited because uh, now I'm not going to have to lose to her for sure if I'm on her team. So she wins, I win. So the game's over. And then uh, it's just this like really epic battle between our third player and this kid across the table. And because he's sort of learning, they're both kind of learning the game. It, it kind of becomes this like long drawn out affair. Uh, and ultimately, it, it be, it's the last game playing. So everyone in the tournament is sort of gathering around to watch like how this game concludes. So we have these two new players, uh, and now they have all this pressure of probably you know ten or fifteen other people watching their match. And it's just so close. It's two keys. They're fighting back and forth, jockeying sort of for position, uh, and time is called in the round. So we have to go through this whole extended tiebreaker process, uh, which I might mess up here, but essentially they have to play out one more round. Then you get, you see who has the most keys. Yep. Uh, they were tied on keys. So then you have to look at Amber and you count up all the Amber in your pool. Uh, and they were like tied again. And so then you get to add Amber to your pool based on Board like you choose yeah yeah board state so you choose one house and you count all the creatures you have of that house plus all the extra cards in your hand of that same house and you get one extra amber for each so they both select houses they both end up getting four additional amber so they're still tied <laughs> so then the tournament organizer is like okay well who went first and the kid's kind of like i went first he's like all right you win and the kid just like literally like jumped out of his chair like <laughs> cheering like so excited like, yeah i was so happy that you know he ended up pulling that out even though it meant my team <laughs> didn't i guess get the sweep or whatever sure but it was just like this yeah it was just like totally great moment everybody won in that situation everybody yeah it was awesome so that was my weekly inspiration how about yourself sure so i ran into a bunch of fancy play syndrome this week um, so this is something I crusade against and still play into myself a bunch. But the illustration that I have ready is that uh, on stream, I popped open a stream to play a game against Jake and I was finishing up a game. And so it's at the very beginning of the video and we'll probably throw a link up in the uh, Twitterverse and maybe in the show notes for that video on demand so you can watch this fancy play gone wrong. And I was playing a not so great deck. It's not an awesome deck, and you can watch me and Jake pilot our not-so-awesome decks against each other in the game following it. But uh, what happened is I had Psychic Network. I Psychic Networked my opponent to keep him off of Forge. It was like a 2-2 game. So he's at 4. I'm at 4. And I captured two, I made his creatures capture 2 of his Amber to, go, uh, to put him from 6 to 4. So in his turn, he's got a board of, I think, like three disc creatures where all he has to do is just reap three times. And I just, I have no amber control left in my hand. Like he reaps three times and passes the turn. Like he just wins. 
but my opponent decided to go all fancy because he had True Baru. So he goes True Baru, loses 3 Amber down to 1, then gateways to Dis to go up to like 12 Amber. I don't know how much Amber, but a lot of Amber. But in the process, he blew up his own creatures who were holding two of his Amber hostage for me. And so all of a sudden he notices my uh, my Amber Pool is now at 6. And he has no other plays to actually uh, do anything. So he, wow. he handed me the win. Like he snatched uh, defeat from the jaws of victory there. And I was just kind of like, well, well, that just happened. And it was kind of funny too because he uh, totally shatter paused. Like after the gateway to Dis went off and he was sitting at like nine, like all of a sudden it was just like 30 seconds of nothing happening where he just realized that he blew up his two guys that gave me exactly the two amber I needed to close the game out when he passed it over. I really like that term shatter pause. I mean, you're... <laughs> yeah, I guess it's a, I guess it's a magic thing. It might come from limited resources. I think they used it. Um, I think that's probably where I picked it up from. Cause when you're playing online, all of a sudden just the person online just pauses and there's just nothing happening for a while because the play, the misplay that they made or just the play they didn't see that just happened just causes them to just like freeze yeah i've definitely been i've definitely been on sort of like the uh the acting side of that i guess where (laughs) i make some mistake like especially on uh when you're playing online on the crucible it's so it's so easy to miss like some of those effects like fogify or like if somebody sacrificed a life ward to make us you can't play creatures or scrambler storm or something like that and then you like pick your house you like go to do something and just realize you can't do it and you're just like wow like you know like i've just thrown away this game basically can i manual change my house please i think that's a perfect term definitely stealing from you but no so the moral of the story i mean i've I've fallen prey to this myself. I did a fancy play one time where I TM or too much to protected my opponent, played the urchin to bring him under to five. And I had Seeker Needle and I forgot that he had Tentacus on the board. So like my fancy play mm. was to shoot my urchin to put me up to like nine amber when I didn't need nine amber, like eight amber would have been enough to win the game. And in that case, my uh, opponent just went LOL, GG, left the game. (laughs) (laughs) And I shattered pause going, oh my goodness. I set that up so perfectly and then got fancy with the Seeker Needle, my urchin, which was not necessary. So yeah, Yeah. be aware of the board state. Like, I don't know, like it is is tough on TCO because sometimes you're just playing, you're clicking and you're just kind of in the groove and sometimes you miss the chat box or you just forget about something, but it's just something to really, really be aware of when you're playing. If don't do the fancy play just because it seems really cool, like you're really digging it in there if it's it's unnecessary. Make, Make the good solid play and move on. But yeah, that was my inspiration, fancy play syndrome. I've been talking about it on the Discord a little bit and Pretty much everybody's fallen prey to it because you just see that cool combo and you just want to pull it off and it turns out <laughs> you probably should have just done the simple play and won the game. Well, that's a, a, probably a good opportunity to plug the Discord. If you guys are interested at all in chatting with us online, uh, Dan and I are both very active in there and, and you'll be able to find a link to join up in the show notes of this podcast. Yeah, it's been a really good discussion. I think we've got like a mighty 15 or something like that people in there and it's been really active we even yeah. do channels for outside of keyforge hobbies which is kind of nice too right cool
with the inspiration out of the way, why don't we jump right into our main topic? So uh, what what do we have on deck for us today? <laughs> on deck? I see what you got. Uh, so it's the Volcano <laughs> or Denver discussion, and we're actually going to start the discussion with the finals decks. Uh, they were a couple of really cool decks. Um, you will notice, too, that there are no lands in either deck. The boogeyman, the lands, was not present at the finals table. And we'll... relegated all the way to third place in the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so gone but not forgotten. Right. Um, so the first deck is Bahamut, Alp Larissa, Heifetz. Now is quite the uh, is quite the name. Yeah. So the the easiest way I've found, if you're interested in sort of looking up these decks, if you go to uh, the KeyForge main website, I think it's KeyForgeGame.com and click on Explore Decks, you can search by uh, by chain. So if you just click on like the down arrow, or, or sorry, if you, you can search by power level. Yeah. So you click on the down arrow on power level, that'll bring up all the top power decks. So the ones you're looking for in there are, are Bomlet, the champion deck. So I think that has uh, nine chain, or nine power or eight power. Um, and then the second place deck that we're also going to be talking about is Bomb Foot. So uh, that's just kind of easy way to track them down if you're if you're interested in a closer look. But we're going to talk about them in depth now. Yeah. So Bahamut Alplarsa Heifetz is a Dis Logo Shadows deck. Um, the Dis features Arise, Triple Control the Week, the new Meta Hotness Control the Week. Uh, three Fates, Charette, Double Ember Imp, Overlord Grecking, which I love that card and I still don't have a deck with it. Uh, Tentacus, the uh, example for inspiration. Be careful when that guy's out on the board. And Double Terrors. So Dis House right away, super good, super controlling. Um, the Arise is really good. You're getting back one, two, three, four, five, six, seven creatures with the Arise if you get it towards the end. Seven Dis creatures and those Ember Imps will really throw a wrench in your opponent's plans if you play two of them out. And then Overlord Grecking is just really nice. Yeah, I think uh, that three times control the week when you have so many disc creatures, right? That's sort of the way this deck uh, is winning is by getting some disc creatures on the board, playing control the week at an opportune time. Um where you know maybe your opponent can't do much, you maintain that board control, and you can just lock them out for three straight turns, just getting tremendous advantage off of all those disc creatures. Yeah. Like so the the soft lock there is the Ember Imp with Control of the Week. So the Ember Imp only allows your opponent to play two cards per turn. So if you're controlling something and you have a pretty good idea of what they have in hand, and you can make them use not what they have in hand like what's the majority so if they played a bunch of shadows creatures early and you call shadows and force them to keep going shadows like and they just don't have anything in their hand they cannot disrupt that ember imp and it just keeps limiting them so yeah you can kind of soft lock your opponent for a few turns sure and even without the ember imp you know it's it's not impossible to just find a good opportunity if, if your opponent just plays out a bunch of you know logos cards or whatever you know, it's a good chance they don't have a bunch left in their hand. Yep, as long as they, so you don't, yeah, as long as they don't have a board full of creatures, then yeah, you're fine sure. recalling. All right, so that's the dis. Dis package is really good. You got a nice mix of creatures. Three fates is just really nice for uh, some nice control setup to get rid of big problem creatures. 
Uh, so we move on to logos. We have zero library access. So the big, another big boogeyman card, not even in the, uh, in one of the finals decks here. So we've got Neurosiphon, Phase Shift, <clears throat> excuse me, Double Twin Bolt Emission, Wild Wormhole, Anomaly Exploiter, Double Dexter, Ganymede Archivist, Psychic Bug, and Double Rocket Boots. So yeah, the Logos is interesting. <laughs> I would say it's not intuitively powerful. Yeah, no, it's definitely not like the Logos that you're like, oh, this is amazing, like library access, lab work, lab work. It's not terrible, of course. I mean, this is a top-powered deck, but <laughs> I, I was kind of surprised when I was looking at it. I mean, we know it's good because of it, the success it had, but I mean, two rocket boots, two rocket boots uh, with not super great, you know, logo stuff. Like, a lot of times you put that on a creature um, and it's just going to get killed before you can take advantage of it unless you're using it on the Logos card itself. And then two Dexters, that's a card I really just generally don't think is that powerful and can really sort of mess up your draws if you're not careful. Uh, Anomaly Explorer is another card that you know can be good if you get it early, but generally is sort of a low-impact card when it hits the board. So yeah. The, I don't know. The thing Anomaly Explorer has going for it here in this deck is the double Twin Bolts. So, I mean, it can pair well with those. So if you have that out and then Twin Bolt, you can remove a problem creature pretty easily. That way, bigger problem creatures. So, that, I mean, that works out nicely. Uh, the rocket boots on the Ganymede Archivist can be good. So, you can start archiving stuff to build up for a big dis or shadows turn later. Um, right. And yeah, so I mean, there are like kind of cute synergies in there, but I mean, there's no, like you said, there's no library access, there's no mother, there's no scrambler storm. Those cards we really, you know, expect to see in, in kind of championship level decks so i mean maybe these cards are better than i personally give them credit for but or maybe it was just that uh, the dis and the shadows houses are so strong that it, it can carry the logos yeah so anyway why, why don't we move on to this talk a little about the shadows yeah here. the shadows is insane all right so we've got a bait and switch obviously because that's going to be that's going to be there we've got lights out we have triple relentless whispers let's just talk about relentless whispers right now <clears throat> real quick so you get one amber for playing it. Great. Fantastic. It deals two damage to a creature. Fantastic. That's a second effect. Now, if that two damage kills something, you steal one from them. That's a second amber. You get three actions for one card. When you're a three for one in your opponent, you're potentially gaining two amber, and you're removing a creature. <clears throat> I think very similar to Nerve... Nerve Blast, right? Which is the one that says steal one if you do deal two damage. Right. Uh, but just strictly better. Because in with this card, you can always play it for value because you're always getting at least the one amber. Uh, you know, you have the potential to get gain two amber, which Nerve Blast can only give you one. Um, and then, yeah, and so you're always able to deal damage with it, which you're not with Nerve Blast if your opponent doesn't have any Amber to steal. Yep. So, I mean, it seems like just a strict upgrade in, in every way from that card, which is also powerful in its own yeah, right. Yeah, it's one of my favorite cards. I have a deck with, I think, at least two Relentless Whispers, and it also has two Dust Imps, and gaining four Amber <laughs> for shooting your own your own dude. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. Yeah, it's a pretty explosive turn. But yeah, so triple Relentless Whispers, double routine job, because yeah, why? I mean, stealing stealing is really good. So may as well just steal for free. Not a, not a bad call. 
then you've got Bad Penny, Nexus, Dodger, Silvertooth, and Urchin. All right, so it's great. It's a really powerful deck. I think for me, like the key components, I think the diss is really the engine. You know, I think it's winning games by getting soft lock and just accruing crazy advantage from big diss turns uh, that you can theoretically link three times in a row uh, with that solid backup from Shadow uh, with the great steal. And then sort of Logos is there that's sort of going to be taking a backseat. Yeah, Logos is my estimation. Yeah, it's like the super support house here. Like the twin bold emissions will be nice. There's a lot of two power tech creatures running around that you just need to get rid of right away. Hunting witch. um, But you got the three relentless whispers for that. No, I yeah yeah you've got that too. (laughs) Yeah, but it's I mean it's just there though. Like the logos, I mean it can it can help. But yeah, you're not you're not winning games off of your logos most likely. You're doing it off of the discs and the shadows. And the shadows is just making it so hard for your opponent to get any kind of, well, even just a forge. I mean, you Relentless Whisper's routine job, that's two stolen amber. Um, yeah. You've got Dodger out there too. You've got an Urchin. I mean, you just make it really, really tough for your opponent to gain and keep amber. All right. Should we go on and talk a little bit about Bombfoot? Yes. The other deck in the final. So Bombfoot is a Dis Shadows Untamed deck. So no logos here. So again, no lands. Let's just keep uh, highlighting that. Um, so disc, we have two control of the weeks. So yep, there's that card. Uh, Tendrils of Pain, a Mind Barb, a Life Board, Dust Imp, Pit Demon, Shaffles, Shuler, Snudge, Stealer of Souls, Succubus. And the creature package is kind of like a EDH deck here. Just like one of everything. <laughs> One of everything, but so many good uh, cards that like really disrupt your opponent. Like Succubus and Snudge are two cards that your opponent basically has to deal with right away, or they're just going to be at such a big disadvantage because of the ability for both to just kind of wreck your hand. And then Shaffles and Pit Demon sort of do the exact same thing, except for they wreck your ability to maintain Amber. So... I mean, once again, you got two control. You've got control of the weeks for kind of a soft lock, but then you also have seven disc creatures paired with it that are, I think, even more problematic than the disc creatures in the other deck. Yeah, I mean the the utilities there, like the snudge is really nice because um, you can bounce your own flank creatures. One thing I like to do is put a shuler on the on the edge if I've got a snudge out, so that way you can shuler twice in a turn. It's so like the turn you play Shuler, snudge it back to hand, play yeah. it again if they're at like five amber and you can steal a couple times. That's a fun play. That's gross. Um, I mean, Life Ward, if you don't want to pop it that turn, you can pop Life Ward back to your hand for the additional amber. Never forget that you can use Snudge on your own stuff. I tend to use Snudge on my own things more often than my opponents. But again, it just depends on what your opponent has. Sometimes it is the right call to use Snudge to bounce one of their flank creatures or their one of their uh, artifacts back to hand. Yeah, I think don't underestimate how detrimental it is to return things to hand, especially because like if you're on the other side of that, a lot of times whatever's returned to your hand is probably not going to be the house you want to immediately call anyway. So, you know, and then in that instance, it's not only getting a threat off the board, but it's also reducing my draw power. Yep. Uh, so, that, you know. That's a powerful, powerful ability. Kind of call it like a half a chain. 
since the next turn they're probably going to have that card in hand and not be able to draw as far into their deck. But yeah, that's the disc package. I feel like it's a little less control cards. I mean, we've only got one, two, three action, four action cards. We've got the Mind Barb, which is nice. And then uh, just the Light Ward as an artifact. But yeah, let's move on to the Shadows. So obviously we're starting with Bait and Switch, because that is the obvious Shadows card that you're going to probably expect to see at this level. Uh, then we've got two Booby Traps. If you're not familiar with that card, it does four damage to a creature not on the flank, and then two to its neighbors. So it's Really good at kind of helping with board control and also gives you an amber when played, so very nice. A Ghostly Hand, Hidden Stash, Relentless Whispers, Special Delivery, Mac the Knife, Nexus, Double Shadow Self, and an Umbra to finish it off. So once again, I feel like the like the control elements here, like the actions here are not as strong as the ones that we saw in the other deck when you've got the double routine jobs and three time relentless whispers. It's hard to compete with that. However, I think like with the game plan, the creatures are, are just a little bit better that you see in shadows here. Those shadow selves are awesome, uh, especially when paired with like those really disruptive disc creatures we just talked about to sort of keep them on the board. Yeah, and those booby traps are going to do some work against Bahamut. Um, it's 4 2. Because I mean, the double Ember Imps, like the Ember Imps are kind of at, you know, at a disadvantage. They're going to get popped by the booby traps because they're two power. The yeah. Shreds, four power. The only issue with booby trap is. That because it says not on a flank, the only time you can use the card is when your opponent has at least three creatures. Right. And assuming they have that, it's really good. But I mean, it is important to keep in mind that a single creature is not considered or is considered to be on the flank. So, you know, it, it it's it's limited in its use, but it's nice that it at least gives you that amber no matter what. Yeah. No, you're gonna get the amber. You don't really have I mean, tendrils of pain is your only other real board clear. And that's only good after your opponent forges a key. That'll do four damage to everything. Otherwise, it's just kind of a ping. Ping for one to everything. But yeah, um, the ghostly hand's nice. That just gives you two amber for playing it. If you do accidentally have it when your opponent has one amber, I mean, it feels really good then getting three amber. Such a, such mm -hmm. a good play. I mean, it feels great. But <laughs> pro tip, do not sit and hold it for three or four or six <laughs> turns waiting for that perfect moment. Like when you declare shadows and you have that card in hand, you're playing it. Like the only case I can say where you don't want to play it is if you're already at like six Amber or something and you know, your opponent has some card that cares if you have seven or eight Amber and you're going to get potentially blown out. And then you're discarding it. Then you're maybe discarding it. Yeah. I mean, like there's a bunch of game decisions that come in there. If your opponent's about to forge two and might be at one the next turn, like I could maybe see holding it, but yeah, no. Ghostly hand, play it right away. Don't don't wait for that perfect setup. It's probably not going to come. All right, so let's talk about Untamed here. All right. Untamed, we have a Full Moon. We have a Grasping Vines. We have a Lost in the Woods, which is probably my favorite Untamed card right now. Uh, we have a Regrowth. We have a Vigor. We have a Ritual of Balance. A Big Twig. A Snuffle Gator. A Mermook. A Mermook. A Taliga. And a Hunting Witch. So you see a lot of like rush potential here between the full moon and the hunting witch vigor. Um, you know, those are all cards that can kind of lead to like these big bursty Amber turns. 
Yeah, and with like the hidden stash and shadows, like so that's the shadows card that allows you to archive the card. I think that's the only archive we have. But I could definitely see like I would if possible, like hidden stashing like a full moon seems like a good idea just to build up because like I feel like you're gonna be going probably probably pretty heavy dis and shadows. You're gonna hope to kind of go big on those early in the game and then like kind of burst down with untamed. And what I what I love about the creature suite here is like you have four creatures again that just demand a response from your opponent. So you've got two Mermooks, that's something you want to deal with. You've got the Taliga, which says each time your opponent plays a creature, gain one amber. That's something you have to deal with right away. The reverse hunting witch. <laughs> yeah, and then you got the hunting witch yourself. Uh, so I think where this deck is so awesome is that like all of these creatures, like across the houses, they they are just impactful on the board just by sitting there. So it really asks tons of uncomfortable questions to your opponent. That's like, can you deal with this? Like, yes, okay, but can you deal with this and this and this and this? And, and it just reaches a point where unless they're packing tons of board wipe uh, that you just kind of accrue a critical mass of these high-impact creatures. Yeah, and like looking back at the last list, we have three fates. We've got double twin bolts. And we have the triple relentless whispers. We don't really have like a true board wipe. Like three fates can kind of, kind of do some work. Yeah. Okay. So what was really interesting? Can we can we jump into sort yeah, of the analysis of how this match played out? I think we killed the actual list themselves. So let's go for it. Awesome. So what was fascinating is when these decks played against each other in the final of Vault Tour Denver, uh, it was the adaptive format, meaning they played the first game uh, and Bombfoot won. They, they switch decks and Bombfoot won again, meaning you go to a game three where you have to bid chains. So the owner of Bombfoot essentially makes the second bid in this situation. So the player who didn't own the deck uh, and the eventual champion of the tournament bid one chain for sort of the right to play that card, at which point... The owner of Bombfoot, the game, the deck that won the first two, has a choice of raising that bid to start with more chains or passing. And he actually chose to defer to play the deck that lost uh, both the first two games, Bahamut, rather than uh, go up to two chains, which sort of stunned me as I was watching the stream. And, and in fact, also was sort of a shock to the commentators and a lot of other people in the channel. And I think... Uh, the only reason you would make that decision not to go up to two chains, which truly is uh, a very low impact on the outcome of the game, because you lose one chain after the after drawing your opening hand, and then your second chain you lose after the first turn. So, I mean, maybe you get off to a slightly slower start, but like that's not a huge drawback at all. So I think really the only reason you make that choice is if you believe that despite... The fact that the Bahamut deck lost the first two games, it's still the better deck to have in the matchup. Yeah, and both players, so we're in a, another Discord. There's just a million Discords out there right now. So um, one of the Discords we're in, both of the players from the finals were in there, and they kind of talked about it, and they both kind of agreed that the deck that did lose the first two matches was the better deck in the matchup. So they are both... Even though they're bidding on one deck, they're actually almost bidding for <laughs> the losing deck. They were trying to get that one because they felt it was better in the matchup. Yeah. So I think 
after looking at these decks, and of course we have uh, the privilege of using hindsight, which is 2020, and we know that, of course, Bombfoot won that third game as well. Uh, and, and more time than these players had to sort of go through, the sift through the deck list and analyze it. I, I'm really surprised that uh, those players thought that Bombfoot was the lesser of the two decks in that particular matchup. I think the reason that I feel that way is because of just the way that uh, Bombfoot sort of outclasses Bahamut in creatures. And, and as we sort of discussed, it doesn't really have a good way to deal with all those disruptive cards. I mean, you've got a lot of ways to deal two damage, but there's only, I think it's three cards in Bombfoot that have two power. Let's see. So there's one Hunting Witch, one Umbra, and one Dust Imp. So those are your only targets uh, for those two power spells to, or two power actions to actually kill a creature. And it gets even worse when you consider the fact that uh, if you're piloting Bombfoot, the first thing you're going to do is Shadow Self is stick it next to one of those two power creatures. So a lot of those cards that are so strong in a in a normal matchup, I think are actually like not that impactful here. Right, right. There's just the Shadow Self provides so much protection. Like that was another card that uh, in my purview after I understood more about the game, at first I was like, oh, Shadow Self, this guy's terrible. He's got nine power and he can't fight anything like. But no, he's like he's better than a taunt because taunt guys can be can have direct damage thrown around them and hit the guy that they're protecting. But Shadow Self just says, no, you're not touching this dude. You need like destroy effects to get rid of this guy sitting next to me. Otherwise, you're going to have to come through me first. And it just, yeah, it, it sits there, it, you know, blanks Relentless Whispers, which is really, really nice. Um, it, I mean, it just it blanks all those. Like Relentless Whispers is the big one, though, because that's where they really want to finish off a creature to get the full value out of the Relentless Whispers. And it, it makes sense to me. Like, I, I certainly you know, am not at all making the case that I'm a better at analyzing decks than these, you know, two people that finished first and second in the vault tour at all. Um, but it makes sense to me how, like, looking at this deck, you could come to the conclusion that Bomlet's better. I mean, they both have the same sort of game plan, right? Like, they're both these really strong control-the-weak decks. They both have multiple copies control-the-weak and seven cards or seven creatures in the dishouse except for Bombfoot has three Control of the Weeks and Bombfoot only has two. Then you look at the Shadows and, I mean, at, at first glance, you see those three Relentless Whispers and two routine jobs and you're like, wow, this deck is just totally busted. So, you know, like it makes sense to me at like first glance, you've got like two minutes to look at the deck list. You see these two decks next to each other and you're like, okay, these decks are trying to do the same thing. Uh, but one is clearly has, you know, is like more effective at carrying out that game plan yeah no definitely yeah i would i mean looking at the two lists yeah like you said you're just that shadow's house is just so impressive in bahamut that i think that can just really color it but again when you look at the list that you're going up against and if those shadow cells get out there it blanks those relentless whispers and that's kind of like one of like the high points of the uh, bahamut deck right yeah and so like if I had to pick one to own, I would pick Bahamut. I think that's probably the better deck in the majority of matchups. But like the only thing that matters here is like when the, these two decks face each other. So the big discussion too in that Discord that we're in, 
a lot of the players that made day two intentionally either conceded into or just naturally got into their second decks, which were less reliant on artifact strategies because they figured going into the second day, they might face a lot of lands or they might face a lot of lands hate. So they specifically uh, shifted into decks that are fast, that also have answers to lands. So it's the meta doing what the meta is supposed to do. <laughs> they saw the problem and they picked something to counter the problem. So that was pretty amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think that really is like a great sign for sort of the health of the competitive game moving forward. The other thing that a lot of people were talking about was the fact that uh, both of these two competitors that played in the finals were part of Keyforge teams uh, that sort of emerged as a big force in this tournament. Yep, so we'll shout them out. There's Team Sass and then Team Reapout were the two competing teams that made it to the end. Um, people are trying to say that that's a bad thing for Keyforge, and I'm here to say no, it's not a bad thing. That's just something that naturally occurs when you actually get a game that people care about enough to actually want to form a team. Um, and I think it's a great thing. Like you're just gonna you're gonna get higher quality play at these events. You're gonna have players that are gonna be getting better, and it's just gonna improve the overall kind of play skill of everybody involved. Everybody's gonna have to step up their game. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, like what if you think about what a team is? It's really just people that you can practice with people that have a similar mindset that want to improve. Uh, and I think one of the arguments that sort of, or one of the things that made people sort of uncomfortable is, is this idea that these teams are sort of buying up all the top decks and they have like the resources to do it. Um, and I actually think if anything, like the opposite is true. Not, not that these teams aren't buying good decks, but that like joining a team, being a part of a team with your friend is actually sort of lowers the cost of entry to players uh, because you might not have the means yourself, but if you've got a buddy that's got five awesome decks and they can only use one at a tournament and you've practiced a lot with them, like, you know, there's a good chance they'll let you borrow one uh, or maybe your teammate who's got this awesome deck that uh, you couldn't really afford on your own. Uh, isn't attending a tournament the weekend and, and you can use it at that point. That's always been my experience. Uh, playing magic competitively and stuff with friends and sharing collections was, you know, it, it made, it made it more accessible to me to, to play good cards and good decks at a high level than, than would have been, uh, than I would be able to just compete yeah. on my and own. Ultimately too, if these decks weren't bought by a team, somebody's going to buy them and somebody that's going to probably spend that much money to buy what some of these decks cost are probably going to travel to the events to play them. So those decks are going to be at the tournament probably regardless of whether there's a team or not piloting them. I don't I don't think it's unfair that they bought the best decks. I think like we saw in the finals there. Um I mean there's the, you know, the fabled glory of Echo Gamer that actually took a loss an unintentional loss on day 1. Um, <laughs> and that's considered one of the strongest decks in the game. So I mean, it's key for you still have to draw things, you still have to draw them in the right order, you still have to play well and you know, nothing is unbeatable, so just get those reps in. Um, yeah, so that brings us to our last segment, the one stood against many. Um, and I'm taking the stance this week that lands is fine. It doesn't need a nerf or banning. Um, I'm hoping we don't lose listeners after this one because we just started and we probably don't have that many listeners yet. But I think Den like Voltor Denver just proved that it's okay. Like, it's fine. 
it's a it's you know it's a strong combo i know like just last night i lost to it where i was kind of in control of a game all of a sudden my buddy hit the combo and then i had no chance winning and i mean it feels bad in that moment but i was so close to winning like if i just had one more turn i'd probably win that game and so it's just i mean that's the game <laughs> i knew i was going up against it i knew i had to win fast and i almost got there um yeah also there's there's plenty of hate cards like if you're afraid of it i think i have about three decks that if i was expecting a lands like lands to be a huge thing i could pilot these three decks and i feel like i have enough answers in them plus speed to just totally kind of i mean i i feel like i'd have a better i'd have the advantage over them like they could still hit lands before i get my answers and that could happen and i could just lose the game but i mean that could I, that can happen in any game really if your opponent just hits hits those cards they need and you don't like you just lose that's just part of playing games right like in any card game you know it's possible that your opponent just gets pocket aces or the equivalent right the god hand where just everything lines up your combo is right there in your hand on turn one so you can go off turn two sorry b hawk i'm so sorry not really sorry it was awesome um <laughs> yeah so and then we we saw in denver vault the denver vault tour i'll slow down uh, the meta did what it was supposed to do. People adjusted the decks they brought to really fight against it. And like they said, there weren't as many that made it through. Um, people, like the the guys that finished at top, um, intentionally didn't take it on day two because they figured they'd run into hate for it. And they both picked decks that are really fast and really resilient and have the answers to it. So I just, I think that's a great... A great sign of the meta that you know like as these tournament go as these tournaments are going we're seeing different kinds of decks win each tournament it's just you've got to make that meta call as to what you're expecting to see at the tournament yeah i think that's a great point and i think also uh this tournament proved that control the week itself is a premier answer uh to lands because you know if you're playing the lands deck you really want to set up a big turn uh, for library access, meaning you're probably holding a lot of Logos cards in hand, uh, you know, meaning it really sucks if three turns in a row you can't play Logos and you've got five cards in your hand, right? That You might just lose before you get the chance to get it out. And for lands, I mean, it's a two-turn combo. You've got to play your independent seed one turn and then follow up with library access on another turn. We should be clear there are com like one turn combos that yeah. you can get off in one turn. There there's versions with reverse time, there are versions with battle fleet, uh, and key abduction. So it's not like there aren't one turn kills in this deck, it's just that lands in particular, which is sort of the most prolific version of the one turn right. kill deck. Yeah, even outside of the one turn kill, just the lands combo where you just pretty much hold your entire deck in your hands is Yeah. But then as an owner of, I have three lands decks in my possession right now. Two of them are pretty much garbage unless you get the lands off. And it's so inconsistent to even hit the lands combo in my one deck that is good. I've pro I think I've got 24, 25 games logged with it in the competitive room and some in real life games. And I think I've probably hit the lands combo maybe six times out of 25 games. Because you just don't always draw the pieces in the right order, or you start building up that Logos hand, and then eventually you just have to play the Logos hand because you're not finding the defense seeds. So, yeah, the combo. Like, uh, I also listened to an interview on another podcast, and they interviewed 
What podcast? Jeez, Key Players, I believe. They did an interview with George, the winner of the uh, Adepticon Vault Tour, and he played a lands deck to everybody's chagrin. And <laughs> it was kind of funny. He's like, yeah, I realized that in a streaming card game, like it was not the most exciting finals. But he and his opponent both, like, <laughs> he's like, we both got really lucky. He's like, it never goes off that often. He's like, most of the tournament that I played it, it didn't, I didn't fire the lands combo every turn. It's just, it's a good deck outside of that. But in the finals, him and his opponent broke both in the early couple of turns actually found the combo right away. And he even admitted on the podcast, he's like, I actually was bidding to try to get his deck. I wanted him to run my deck because I knew he wasn't very familiar with it. And I thought his deck was actually fast enough to beat my deck. So there you go. It's so funny, all these finals winners being like, I didn't even want to play the deck I won with. <laughs> oh, one last quick thing on Walter Denver. Oh my goodness, can you imagine being the guy that owns the deck that he lost to two times? Like, do you even, do you even keep the deck? I you know. just feed it to the shredder. You're like, you failed me. <laughs> you were the cause of my defeat. You. <laughs> it's like so clear that, you know, I had the best deck in the tournament. <laughs> oh, and my last thing on the lands combos are fun like this game is made up of so many different combos and that's i mean that's what i love about this game is like looking at a list and trying to figure out the little combos like the little cards that kind of just fit together to make something weird and wacky happen and they're just kind of all over the place this one i mean yeah it's probably maybe a little more powerful than it should be and like that feel bad moment when your opponent's doing it and then you realize you have no chance of actually winning the game anymore is pretty pretty much a bad feeling but all that said, like, I mean, that there's just, that happens in games. There's combos that happen, and I just, I don't, I don't see it as a huge, huge issue that needs a big nerf or banning or rewriting of the rules to try to just knock down that one combo. I tend to agree with you. Um, I, I should plug the article I wrote um, all about lands, and, and I came to much of the same conclusion. Like, I also don't think it needs to be nerfed or banned at this time. The only thing that I would sort of push back on is I think that combo, not com like I love all the cool combos and like the small little combos and finding value, like that's great. But like combo decks where you're really uh, have a combo that exists that just wins you the game on the spot, um, to me feels unsatisfying, particularly in Keyforge more so than other games. And I think the reason for that is that there's no way to interact on your opponent's turn. So like in a game like Magic or, or many, or, you know, I don't know. I, know, I never played Yu-Gi-Oh! I've heard that's really problematic with combo decks. But so let's go with Magic as the, as the example. If you have a combo in hand and you start like playing it out, you don't know even on your own turn if it's going to be successful. Uh, the thing that really is frustrating about combos in Keyforge is a lot of times if you get the pieces... You know, it's just, there's nothing, there's no real excitement there. Like maybe you're excited, oh, draw it, your opponent sees it immediately, <laughs> immediately knows that they can't answer it. And then, you know, it, it's, and then when it gets to be your turn, you immediately know you have nothing at all to worry about. So you just, you know, go to town. So I don't know, like, I'm still struggling with it. I, I still think that probably the best, Despite not winning this tournament, I still probably think the best decks in the game are really strong decks that have strong independent pieces that can sometimes come together and, and do a one-turn kill. 
Um, I mean, it's still, I think these decks still have a much better showing than Control the Weak decks, despite them being the flavor of the week. So it remains to be seen for me, but, you know, I, I do agree with your ultimate conclusion that, like, right now it's fine. We just need to keep watching and see what happens. Yeah, and the meta is young. I mean, this is still a relatively new game. I mean, these Vault Tours started, what, like a month and a half ago? So we've only had, what, four or five high high level tournaments at this point. Yeah, nobody's even opened the six control the week deck yet. So. <laughs> yeah. Um that would oh my goodness. I can't even imagine playing against that. That that sounds awful. I don't even know. Maybe that's out there. Yeah. It's possible. I don't I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't not. I don't know either. But that, that, <laughs> sounds, that sounds that sounds worse than lands to play against. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. But yeah. I think that'll do it for us, right? That's it, yeah. yeah. So why don't you uh, let the people know where they can find you? Yeah, so pretty much anywhere social media-wise, Twitter, Twitch, I'm at uh, Danis Someone. that's D-A-N-I-S-S-O-M-E and the numeral one. Um, come check me out when I'm streaming. It's very infrequent because I dad life all the time, so it's pretty much after my daughter goes to bed, but some nights you'll see me out there, like 9.30ish uh, Pacific, Pacific Coast time. Twitter Dan is someone as well. Follow me on there. I usually post when I'm about to stream. Perfect. I'm Jake Freed, J-A-K-E-F-R-Y-D, uh, on Twitter, on Twitch. Um, just finished up my finals for the semester, so hopefully I'll be back on Twitch a lot more frequently uh, over the summer. So uh, check us out there. And until next time, you should say Forge Those Keys, people. Oh, is that what I'm supposed to do? <laughs> Archon, we call upon you to forge the keys. Nailed it. <laughs> See you guys next week. <laughs>